0: Contemporary romance author Barbara Freethy is an Amazon KDP best selling author of all time, with a total now of 12 million books sold in multiple languages. She's a master of thrilling mysteries, romantic suspense, and heartwarming romance. Welcome to the Joys of Binge Reading, the show for anyone who ever got to the end of a great book and wanted to read the next instalment. We interview successful series authors and recommend the best in mystery, suspense, historical and romance series, so you'll never be without a book you can't put down. You'll find this episode's show notes, a free ebook, and lots more information at thejoysofbingereading.com. And now, here's our show. Hi there, I'm your host Jenny Wheeler and today in The Joys of Binge Reading... Barbara talks about the enjoyment she gets in being able to switch between the more chilling thrillers she writes to her charming love stories. And also, she talks about the advantage of having a good head for business in today's publishing environment. Perhaps more important today than it ever has been in the past for an author to be able to understand the business of publishing. We've got a free book giveaway to mark St. Valentine's Day, three of USA Today best-selling author Ashley Emma's hugely popular Amish romances. Simply click on the link in the Joys of Binge Reading website or on our binge reading Facebook page for three free. Amish romances and lose yourself in a different world. Don't forget you can get exclusive bonus content like hearing Barbara's answers to the getting to know you five quick fire questions by becoming a binge reading on Patreon supporter. For the cost of less than a cup of coffee a month you'll get bonus content including regular behind the scenes news and indications of the authors we'll be talking to in coming months if you want to read their Work ahead of the show. If you'd like to support the show, check it out on Binge Reading on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash the joys of binge reading. That's Patreon, P A T R E O N. But now, here's Barbara. Hello there, Barbara, and welcome to the show. It's great to have you with us. Great, thanks so much for having me. Look, you started out with a very sound career in trad publishing, but in the early days of the indie revolution, you were one of the ones who jumped ship, and your success has been remarkable. Within a few years, you'd sold 5 million ebooks and become an Amazon KDP best selling author of all time. That was a few years ago now. Have you got any idea how many books you've sold now? Well, I think in adding them all up,
1: because I was traditionally published before I went indie, I probably have about 12 million books sold worldwide, which is really exciting and in many different languages now too. So that's very exciting for me.
0: That is fantastic. Now, it goes without saying that you do write highly entertaining and addictive books, but even so, how do you account for that brilliant success?
1: I think it's really hard to account for the success. I think there were a lot of factors that have gone into it, but I do think that publishing on a regular basis, being really consistent with what I write and you know, really meeting the reader's expectations has been really helpful for me. And so there's just a lot of different factors. I think I I put a lot of time in, but then a lot of authors put a lot of time in. So I don't do anything that much differently, but I think I've got a good head for business, the business of publishing as well as for the writing. I think that's been helpful in my pursuit of an indie career.
0: Yes. So we haven't mentioned, but you write in the genres of romantic suspense and contemporary romance those are your your sort of main focuses and you're firmly established in that as a reigning queen in that area mm-hmm. Thanks. You've got two and maybe even three. I'm not quite sure if the Callaways is still going, but you've definitely got two series running at the moment. The Callaways, which was your earlier one, was highly successful. Have you still doing books in that one as well? You know, I have not done a Callaway book in about a, about two years
1: probably, but I, I do think there will be another spinoff from the Callaways, another probably Callaway cousin family. Although I did spin off my Callaways into my Whisper Lake series. That actually begins with one of the, the cousins starting a... A summer camp up in the mountains of Colorado, which is where the fictional town of Whisper Lake is located. So I have that um, Whisper Lake series, which is, you know, heartwarming, charming romance with all the feels. And then I have an ongoing FBI romantic suspense series which traces a group of agents who met at Quantico during training. And then there's an overarching mystery in the first five books. And then the books after that are fairly standalone, but they have all the characters, you know, many of the characters will appear throughout the series.
0: You've definitely got that skill of writing series or linked books um, down to a fine art. I really loved one of the the earlier Lightning Strikes trilogy. That was one I just adored, adored earlier on. Yes. Yeah, so at the moment, we're particularly talking about Risky Bargain, which is number 10 in the FBI series. And If We Never Met, it, which is, I think, number nine in the Whisper Lake series, or was it six? It's uh, number five um, in the
1: Whisper Lake? If you oh, five, yeah, yes.
0: yeah. <laughs> so you do this thing of almost double tagging. One of the kind of romantic suspense and then one of the contemporary romance. Is that how it goes? You sort of almost counterpoint.
1: Uh, Yes, sometimes I'll do two in a row and sometimes I'll do every other. I will say that, you know, my voice is very much the same in both series. One just has more suspense within the plot. But I write a lot about families and, you know, friends and a lot of the themes that I that I write in contemporary romance are the same themes I write in romantic suspense. It's just heavier on the mystery and the the suspense element. And then it's just a nice break, actually, to go back and forth because Whisper Lake is a little bit more family and romance oriented and really heartwarming emotional stories which I really love and then the FBI is a little bit more like you know heart pounding you know on the run suspenseful twisting surprise kind of story so it's it's kind of fun to go back and forth but a lot of my readers seem to be reading both series and are enjoying it so I think the voice comes through anyway it's just a little bit vary variation
0: yeah Yeah. Does it feel different when you're writing them? Is one of them like you're going to your beach house and the other you're in the city? You know, it it feels different because the FBI, the suspense books are
1: um, a little bit more heavily researched because... You know, there's so much to do with technology and crime and investigation and that sort of thing. So those feel, you know, they're more difficult in terms of that. But then the contemporary romance, just trying to keep it as fresh and interesting and innovative as I can is always the challenge because I've written a lot of books in that vein so I really really try hard to make sure they're all unique and it doesn't feel like you've read the story before
0: and also you do keep them light on the sex they're very much emotional stories aren't they yes there's usually some sex but it's
1: very it's very minimal and it's it's you know just, you know, it's a very small portion of the book. I do emphasize more of the emotional romantic link, but but there is some sex on the page, but certainly compared to a lot of steamy books, not as much.
0: <laughs> so I'm sure. a little bit light so. is probably a good word. Yes, look, in Risky Bargain, you've got FBI agent Lucas Rains. So he's drawn into this murky world of gaming where the boundary lines between real and virtual reality get fatally crossed. Now, I was just really fascinated by that announcement at Mark Zuckerberg's just in the last 10 days about his metaverse. And I wondered if it was almost prophetic that you'd seen the kind of aspects of possible sinister crossings between Virtual reality in the real world. Would you take any credit for having had that kind of foresight? I have, yeah,
1: I have no idea. I'm sure that the this idea has been out there before me. I I didn't. Yeah, when I saw that, I thought that was interesting. But I really just had this idea, which kind of developed as I wrote it about. Having a, a character where the gamers, you know, I one of my friends has, has a teenager who's really obsessed with gaming. And I was kind of taking that idea to like, you could almost make these gamers do anything if they believed it was actually just virtual reality. And that's what happens in, in Risky Bargain is there's this line between what's real and what's not real and um, even the FBI agents have to start questioning if what they're finding is real or if it's not real. So that was kind of the whole theme that I was playing around with and it was it was very fun and it felt very forward facing, but it's also like anything is possible with our technology now. So it's you can imagine almost anything being possible.
0: Yes, and I thought you would have had to have done a lot of research for that book and and as you mentioned with the technological aspects of the others because law enforcement these days is so closely enmeshed with technology. Have you got a particular kind of hotline to do that research? Does it come naturally to you, that technology area? It, it does not come naturally to me, <laughs> um, but I do have friends and
1: I also have people that I that I can contact to, to get ideas for some of the technological advances. And one of my, as I mentioned, my friend who has a son who's a gamer, she's also a writer and also very technical. So she helped me with, a bit with the gaming aspect. But you know, I've written so many books that I've long ago written everything I knew. So that advice that writers get to write what you know, that that only lasted a few books. So, But I actually find it to be more entertaining for me as a writer to have to learn something new and then share it and then expand on it in a story and go with what if this was possible. And then it becomes a very fun, creative exercise.
0: One of the sort of really kind of creepy and touching aspects of risky bargain is that, as you say, some of the young gamers, not necessarily so young, but people who are really sucked into gaming, get to do things that they believe are just within the game, and then they discover that they are not in the game, that they've been used as a bit of a dupe. And that was quite touching, some of the responses when they discovered that they'd been you know, can't really. Right, which was, what, which was
1: what was so fascinating about writing that story is that there is this fine line, you know, between everything, good and evil, reality and not reality. So it was fun to play around with that in the story.
0: Have you ever seen any examples where this could really happen in real life? Do you think it could really happen in real life? I think it could really
1: happen in real life because of the way we're so attached to, you know, the internet and people get sucked into things. And, you know, we, we've seen that people will believe almost anything depending on how it's sold to them. So yeah, I think, I think a lot of things are possible, which is both scary <laughs> and and interesting. So yeah, I think I, I just wanted to explore that idea a little bit in a fictional yeah. world.
0: Yeah, and you mentioned about Whisper Lake. It's set in really different territory because the FBI ones, you almost assume they are in an urban environment. Whisper Lake is a highway, Colorado mountain, off the highway, Colorado mountain town. But you still have the technical aspect because it opens in a very... Humorous way. Kate is trying to recruit recruit a date to take to a best friend's wedding. The friend said, "You've got to bring someone," and so she goes online to a dating app and arranges to meet this blind date in a local cafe. And just quite naturally, it could happen. Picks out the wrong guy, approaches the table and says, "Are you Daniel?" Daniel, and he he nods, and so they get talking. And then after a short time, she realizes it's not the right person. So once again, you've got technology in there right at the beginning, don't you? Yeah, I really
1: (laughs) liked that opening. It was so fun. to. So did I. I have adult children who also go on online dates so I have a lot of fodder from <laughs> from their experiences <laughs> for that kind of that kind of moment and it was really funny because like I think she does say are you Danny and his name is Dante so he doesn't quite hear her in the bar and thinks that he's also got a kind of a celebrity past so he assumes that she knows who he is and then realizes she doesn't have any idea who he is which is also entertaining for him because he's used to people kind of using him for a celebrity. So it became a very fun opening scene. And then it goes on from there. And it's, you know, all of my Whisper of Lake books are pretty emotional stories. There's a lot about the families of the characters. And, you know, in in her case, you know, she has a mom who then has an old flame that suddenly appears and she's trying to protect her mom. And there's a little bit of mystery. I just love to add mysteries to my books or a question or a puzzle or something for a reader to figure out. So,
0: even when they're not suspense, there's usually something that's making you want to know more. Yeah, that's right. That mum subplot, you were worried all the time that he really was a con artist and that she wasn't, he was feeding her lines that she thought she remembered. But you were always a little bit worried that actually she didn't really remember them. It was a bit of an auto-suggestion situation set up there. Right. I think it's so interesting how many people
1: reconnect with high school flames in their older years, sometimes even 80s, 90s. And so I kind of wanted to explore that idea in this book that, you know, this person comes back and when you're kind of taken back to your own youth through this person, but is the person, you know, real again, or is it, is it part of a con or, you know, is there something else going on? So that was, yeah, that was interesting, but it's like, you know, the mom just wanted to feel like herself again. And she could with this person who knew her when she was
0: young. So it's a fun yeah. thing to to read about. Very interesting. We've mentioned about the Callaways already. They they've been highly I think you've got two related series in the Calloways. Right there's the 14
1: moment. books in the Callaways. and it's it's about a family that was basically born to serve and protect so many of them are firefighters but there's this sense of giving back to the community and to the world throughout their sort of family history and it's also a blended family so if you remember the old show the Brady Bunch like you know so it's like four of her you know four of his and two of hers and then two together so the kids kind of grow up you know, with a different relationship to each other and to their parents, which I thought would be fun to go. And then it got into the world of firefighting. Many of those books are set in San Francisco and kind of takes you in different ways through the family relationships and also through their love relationships. So that that was a fun series.
0: Did you have to make a, a really extensive family tree to keep track of who was who and how they were all interrelated? Yes, absolutely. And once I, I did the original eight and then
1: I did a family of cousins of six kids, so I had to kind of. And then the book goes over several years, so then people have children, and so you have to keep track of that. And but it, it is really fun, and I I will probably go back and and do another Callaway spinoff. But I just took a little bit of a break, just you know for myself and for the readers, and I think they'll be excited to to go back and meet more Callaways in the future. So
0: that's is it all on a on a, on a spreadsheet like a. Some of it is. I'm not a big spreadsheet person, but I do have a lot of notes in like a notebook. <laughs> so that's kind of more my, my style. I must admit, I've got several notebooks. I'm always burrowing around trying to find the one that I wrote. Right, right. As. The little notes
1: <laughs> that get lost. That's the problem.
0: <laughs> I wonder if you could give readers a brief idea about the difference there is for you and being in this position, compared with being a mid-level, traditionally published author? Right. I mean,
1: I wrote for four of the big five, as they call them, New York publishing houses over my career and before I became indie. So I have a pretty good sense of both worlds. As an indie author, I have far more control over my product, everything from the writing to the distribution, to how often I write, to how fast I write to how I want to distribute it, what price point, what cover. So there's really no comparison in terms of control between the two things. And I, I love it. I've discovered that I'm very good at the business end of writing. So I enjoy that as much as I do the writing. So for me, it's it's been a, a fabulous experience.
0: You're working... Very hard. I mean, I think. Are you producing four books a year? Yes, generally between
1: three and four. That's but usually four books a year. About my pay,
0: and a traditional publishing house just can't handle that volume of. No, they would. Yeah,
1: for most of my career, I was probably allowed to publish one to two books per year. And I do write faster than that. And also the books are scheduled so far out. So you might write a book and then it doesn't come out for two years. So I really appreciate with digital now and with indie that I can write a book and and bring it out in four months for
0: my audience. So... That's been great. It's valuable too, because you get the instant feedback from how the readers are receiving it. You don't have to wait two years and have almost gone cold on the idea before it hits. Right. I mean, in traditional publishing also,
1: there's so much dependency on the print book. And when you write a series, it's very difficult for any bookstore to carry all the books in the series in their store. They just don't have shelf space for it. So in the digital world, it's it's much easier to write a series because the reader can get All the books in the series, you know, at the time that they want them. When you're doing it in traditional and it's you're writing a series, which I have done for traditional publishers. You know, I'd have a book out, and then the second one wouldn't come out for a year and a half. And by that time, the first book was gone, um and readers couldn't find it. So um, so now it's just it's both not only just traditional, it's also just you know, print versus digital, having the option to shelve an unlimited number of books in any of the online bookstores has allowed writers to really be able to allow readers to binge read, which we, couldn't necessarily do
0: before. Yeah, exactly. It's partly why I sort of framed this podcast the way that I did, because when I started looking at publishing five years ago now, I realized that. That Netflix phenomenon of people binge watching was very much being transferred into reading with the digital age, hasn't it? Yes, it has. It's, it's probably the number
1: one difference is that readers can can get all the books in a series and read them all at one time. And I know readers that'll you know wait until there's two or three books out before they'll start a series simply because they want to binge. So I, I think that series have taken off in this era of binge everything, binge watching, binge reading. So that's been that's been really good for writers. Yeah, uh,
0: I think the people that listen to this show, I presume that if they find a book that they like, they're wanting to go and read, find and more read find more to read. So, I usually gratefully decline debut authors and say to them, wait until you've got two or three so that then if people really like it, there's something else that they can go to because that's exactly how we live these days.
1: Yes, I think that's very true. And I think even myself as a reader, if I love someone's book, I'm immediately going to go and see what else they've written and what else I can buy. So, We're
0: just taking a quick short break. We'll be back with Barbara Freethy very soon. If you like historical mystery series, do take a look at my Jenny Wheeler's Of Gold and Blood series set in colourful California. Yes, I'm an author as well as a podcaster and Dangerous Desires, book 10 in the Of Gold and Blood series is due out next month. It's available now on pre-order at a special pre-launch price of $1.99, it'll cost more once we're launched, but for the first few days around launch, it's available at that pre-order price. It's set in San Francisco of 1870, and Hector DeVille feels ready to let go of the reins. After a ruthless climb to the top, the California senator figures it's time to enjoy life with his reunited family and leave a lasting legacy. But his idyllic dreams shatter when a callous blackmailer threatens to drown his present reputation in a quagmire of past scandal. Dangerous Desires can be read as a standalone mystery, but if you want to start at the beginning, book one in the series, Poison Legacy, is available on Jenny's Books website for free. Check it out at jennywheeler.biz. Dangerous Desires on pre-order or Poison Legacy, book one, for free. And now, back to Barbara Freethy. You mentioned about you've discovered that you were very good at the business end. What were you doing in life before you became a writer that might have helped contribute to that? Or was it just a natural inclination that you had or discovered? That's a good question. I mean, I, was, I worked in public relations
1: way back when, <laughs> a long time ago. So <laughs> I really enjoyed the writing part of public relations, which was writing, you know, newsletters and collateral materials for clients, but I, I didn't enjoy some of the other aspects. So when I, I guess when I went into indie publishing, I did have some of that ability to market and sort of an understanding. Although I wouldn't say that I come at it as a marketing expert because, you know, as I said, I did this many years ago. So my knowledge is not as up to date as people who maybe are doing that work right now and then becoming indie writers. But I think I also just, I really enjoy the, I think I have a lot of experience in publishing because I was published for so many years by other publishers. So when you're published by a traditional publisher, there's a a misunderstanding that they're going to do everything for you. And in truth, they left much of the marketing up to the author anyway. So I actually learned how to do that. Even when I was with a publisher, I understood that I had to build my newsletter and I had to get my word out and I had to talk to booksellers and all that. So I think I, I did have some experience just coming out of traditional and understanding that it was important to, you know, understand the relationships between people. And, you know, some writers just really just want to write and that's all they want to do. And that's that's fine. And that's what they should do. The great thing is there's so many paths and so many options now, and there just weren't before. So that's why I'm so excited about it, that, you know, writers can do whatever they want, whatever works for them personally. Do you think that if you hadn't have made this step, would you still be writing at all? I think I would still be writing because I love to write. But I definitely was frustrated by the lack of um, speed at which I could write. Um, you know, it was fine to do one book a year when I had small children and a lot of other things going on in a part-time job and other things. But I, you know, we really wanted to write more and I wanted to write faster. So I think that was going to be a frustration for me. But... Luckily, you know, the uh, ebook was invented and <laughs> the booksellers decided to start selling digital and they l- decided to allow authors to go direct to them. That was certainly a game changer for writers. No more gatekeepers yeah. because, I mean, it's good and bad, right? Because a lot of things get published that perhaps aren't that good, but also a lot of things get published that would have never been published because somebody didn't think it was too narrow or you know, not universally appealing. So that that was always a problem in traditional. It was kind of like, you know, you have to sell to the mass market so you can't be too original necessarily.
0: And I think you've mentioned that even yourself, that your books tend to cross boundaries between romance and mystery. And I mean, we've described them as romantic suspense and contemporary romance, but they cross the boundaries a little bit. And you sometimes found that even yourself, didn't you?
1: Yes, I did find that. In fact, I had a lot of publishers say your books are kind of hard to cover because they're a little bit of everything they're emotional and then they're funny and then they're sad and then they're mysterious but they're not you know dark and so you know I, I like to write between the lines I just I feel like my writing is more interesting when it's more got more dimensions to it I, I don't like to just write to like a particular trope I mean I'm sure I use the tropes in my writing but I don't come at it from that point of view or I think a lot of writers specifically say this is my trope and I'm writing to it whereas I'll be much more interested in who the character are and then what else can I throw at them and what else can I do to make this twisty or surprising or different? So yeah, I definitely kind of marched to my own drummer in terms of how I write, but it worked so far. And uh, I think that the readers really appreciate it when there is depth to the story. So so that's what I like to do.
0: Would you say that's how it's helped you to keep fresh? Yes, I
1: think so. I think you have to. I I know a lot of writers talking about burnout now. And I, I just think that because there's been such an emphasis on writing a specific thing like this is what sells so you must write this and there's a lot of people talking like that and i think that when you stay in that narrow box it, it makes it easier to burn out because you get tired i also can't write one book a month which would also exhaust me so i have to go a, a little bit slower although i still write at a fast pace but i think being able to just write different things keeps me creatively excited and i think a writer has to be i think i think you can tell when a writer loves the story that they've created I think that's evident to the reader. Yeah,
0: yeah, Yeah, exactly. Look, we've talked about the demands of being an indie author. Can you give us an idea of how much of your working day would be writing and how much would be the business and marketing aspect of it? You know, probably, it's probably like 80-20. It's probably like
1: 80% writing and 20% marketing. I mean, I think there are certain times, like maybe the two weeks before I have a new release, where that shifts and I spend more time on the marketing aspect. But I think I generally do spend most of my time on the writing because I know that at the heart of everything is the book. And if the book isn't isn't good or isn't what your readers want, then all the amount of marketing in the world you do is not going to sell it. So I, I'm always very cognizant of the fact of, you know, really trying to make sure that I have the best product I can have.
0: Fantastic. Look, turning to Barbara as reader, because we've mentioned that this is a bench reading episode. What do you like to binge read yourself and who would you recommend at the moment? Well,
1: I read in different genres. So I would say that in romantic suspense, some of my favorite authors are Rachel Grant. Tony Anderson also writes an FBI series that's um, a bit darker than mine, but very good. And I really enjoy Laura Griffin, who writes the series as well. So those are kind of my, my go-to romantic suspense writers. For contemporary romance, I really like Christy Ridgeway, who has a really fun series called The Seven Stead Club, uh, and she's a very fun writer. She's got a lot of humor to her books. And Jill Shalvis, and then of course Nora Roberts is probably a longtime fave of mine. I've probably read probably read every book that she's ever written, which is a lot, <laughs> probably hundreds. I don't I don't so much explore some of her fantasy books, but I really like everything else that that she's written. So I don't know. I read a lot. I grew up as a big reader, so you know I've read just. So many people over the years, it's hard
0: to say. Looking back down the tunnel of time over your career, at this stage, if you were doing it all over again, is there anything that you would change? There's nothing I
1: would change, but I think there's things I've learned Because I think you can't really, you can't change it because you made the decision you made at the time based on the the information you had. But I will say that one thing I think I've really learned for all these years is to be very flexible and to be very adaptable. I've had the rug pulled out from under me at traditional publishers. I had a publisher who dropped me and... I had to reinvent myself. I've probably reinvented myself several times over the course of my career. So I think that to stay alive in this in this business and to stay alive as a writer, you have to be willing to change and to be you know there's just a million things you can write and a million kinds of writer things you can do. So I think being flexible and adaptable, and I think that's why I jumped onto indie publishing when I did when other people maybe did not because you know I like to try new things and I I saw opportunity but I was also willing to adapt. And I
0: think that keeps you going. Yeah. Look, Looking forward, what is next for Barbara as writer? What's, what have you got on your desk over the next 12 months? Well, I have another
1: Whisper Lake book, another FBI book, both coming out in 2022. I'm also writing a standalone romantic suspense that's coming out probably in January. I haven't uh, put that up yet because it's uh, kind of a a special project I've been working on in between my series. I actually have written many standalones in my career, which we've talked a lot about series, but back in the day, I wasn't really allowed to write series. So I've written 17 standalone books and I kind of missed being able to just do one big story and one book. So that was going to be just a fun project. So that's coming out next. And then um, who knows from there, lots
0: of, lots more writing going on down the road. Sounds like another Callaway sometime. Right, right. Another Callaway. <laughs> Do you enjoy hearing from your readers and where can they find
1: you online? Oh, yes. I love to hear from the readers. I'm on Facebook at Facebook Barbara Freethy Books. I also have a private Facebook group that you can find through that Barbara Freethi Books page where it's just a smaller group where people are chatting more about my books. And so that's really fun. I'm also on Instagram, also at Barbara Freethi Books. And I have a newsletter and a website, BarbaraFreethy.com. So I'd love to hear from readers and I usually have little uh, promos and features in my newsletter for free books and goodies. So it's great if people want to sign up for that as well.
0: And how often does the news to go out? You know,
1: again, I'm not a spreadsheet person. So (laughs) not always a schedule, but generally no more than twice a month. So it's usually about twice a month. So I I don't over inundate my readers with a lot of information, but I try when I send out a newsletter to have something fun for them as well as the news and what's coming up next.
0: Look, that's lovely, Barbara. Thank you so much for being with us today. No problem. It was great. Well, that's it for this week's show. Next week, we've got Susan May Warren, a Rita and Christie Award-winning inspirational suspense author. She has a remarkable publishing record with over 100 contemporary and historical romances published in more than 20 languages. So don't miss out. Next week, Susan May Warren. And just a reminder about that exclusive bonus content, check us out today. Patreon.com forward slash the joys of binge reading. Well, that's it for now. Happy reading and catch you next time.